Authority Marketing Machine Podcast. Increase your income. Have a bigger impact. Our next guest, Robert Plotkin, is the founder of Technology for Mindfulness. He's both a long-time mindfulness practitioner and has a 30-year experience in computer programming right back to programming Atari 800 personal computers. He has a computer science engineering degree from MIT and has written a number of books, including How Computer Automated Inventing is Revolutionising Law and Business and The Genie in the Machine. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hey there. You've had a massive sort of background and done a great deal of things. I was just thinking as a kickoff, would you mind just sort of running us through a bit about your background, sort of growing up? and how you got to where you are today? You know, there's two aspects of, of uh, how, how I grew up that both took me to this point of working on technology and mindfulness, helping people deal with distraction in the online world. The one part is that I've been using computers since I was a kid. I've been a programmer since a, a, a about 1980. I was about 10 years old. Started on a TRS-80, then an Atari 800, ancient <laughs> history in the computer world. Yeah. You know, and, and then I, I did it as a hobby for a long time. Went to MIT, studied computer science, and then actually went to law school and became a patent attorney focused on patent protection for computer technology, which I've been doing for over 20 years now. So, you know, I live and breathe the high-tech world. I work with startup companies, big high-tech companies, and this, this is my world, is high-tech. You know, I, I've always loved computers and uh, I, I use them all the time. I still use the word computer, you know, which a lot of people don't think of their smartphone as a computer, but it is really. Yeah. And sometimes I like to tell people about this so that they know when I start talking about all the dangers and ills of technology, it's not because, you know, I'm a Luddite or I hate technology or anything like that. The opposite from what I can tell. It's the opposite. In fact, I used to before the internet, if anyone can remember that time before there was an internet, you know, I was using computers for about at least 15 years, really, before the web, yeah. for example. I had great memories of sitting down at a computer to write, whether it was writing a story or an essay or write code, that I could get really focused and, and get in that state of flow using a computer. Why? It wasn't popping up any notifications at me. Yes. No one was messaging me. There was no temptation to go on to Facebook or check email. There was no Facebook. <laughs> there was no email. <laughs> I think it's one of the biggest challenges people face today, you know, trying to create something nowadays, like create anything or, you know, create a, an online business. There's so many paths of less resistance for them to, you know, go down as a, as a rabbit warren sort of thing. Exactly. And, and, you know, the technology is designed to make the resistance, and that's called friction, yeah. as little as possible. I remember years, years ago, hearing uh, that Jeff Bezos yeah. had said about Amazon, right? His ideal, and we're getting pretty close to it now. When he said this, I think people thought he was crazy, that he wanted to make the distance between you having a desire to purchase a product and having that product in your hand because you purchased it as small yeah. as possible, yeah, right? <laughs> and think about it. Amazon over the years has been shortening that distance, right? We're decreasing the friction yep. between your urge to buy something and your ability to actually buy it. You know, with the dots and with Alexa, you'll be able to use voice. Eventually, right, it'll be in your brain, literally. It'll just be a thought. 
you know, that, that's that what they're talking about. It's the <laughs> interfacing now that slows everything down. So, yeah, right, yeah, I, I can definitely identify with that for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, this is one part of me, which is the the high tech side, the person who loves using this stuff, who feels, who has had the experience of having my productivity, my creativity, my just my enjoyment of life, my ability to connect with people enhanced yes. by technology, you know, but yeah. also finding a lot of that being counteracted by the negative side of technology increasingly in recent years, 5, 10, 15 years. Mm. But let me bring in the other side of me, which is that I've been practicing martial arts since I was also about 10 years old. Yes. And what is the relationship here? It may sound like a strange uh, thing to bring in, but let me ask you, when your smartphone beeps at you because you got a message coming at you, does that feel a little bit like being attacked? <laughs> I think people don't even realize that it. it's creating an anxiety within them sometimes, you know, like that ding or, you know, there's something over there waiting for you and uh, you feel like you need to know what it is and that's affecting your, your life on a higher level than what people often realize, I think. It is. And again, it's designed to go beneath the radar screen so that you don't realize it, yeah. so that you do, in fact, react to it, but your conscious, rational brain is not aware of it. And there's a relationship here to martial arts training, yeah. right? Which is if you're untrained, most people, vast majority of people who are untrained in, in martial arts or any other kind of fighting, if someone were to attack them, they would respond instinctively in a way that's probably not going to help them defend themselves. Yeah. Right. Talk about fight or flight. There's actually more than that. It's, some people respond with fight. Some people respond with flight. What is that? Turn around, run away. There's yeah. also freeze. I've learned through martial arts training. That's my primary or dominant instinctive reaction. Tense up, put my hands up, something like that. <laughs> There's a lot of F's. Faint. You know, yeah. some people pass out when yeah, they have sure. anxiety. Fake is another one. You might act. You know, what's that lizard, you know, who puts up the... Uh, yeah, 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 the <laughs> chameleon guy. Yeah. <laughs> it acts like it's a big, tough, strong lizard when it's not. You know, yeah. there's people who have that response. For sure. You respond instinctively. Yeah. It might have an immediate effect on the attacker that may or may not work, but usually it's a kind of all or nothing, one-time thing. <laughs> yeah, and, you know? and people can see through it a lot of the time, I think. Yeah, so to respond particularly to a trained attacker, you know, someone who knows how to fight and attack you, you're going to need more than just your instinctive response. Yeah. And martial arts training helps you, one, recognize what your instinctive reaction is, pay attention to it, actually, to a certain extent, unlearn the instinctive response and to the extent that you can never completely unlearn. Yeah. I still, when I'm training against someone who's stronger, faster, just better than me, I still feel fear. Yeah. That may never go away, but I've learned to not be controlled by. I've learned to still stay focused, present, still keep my eyes open, look at what's happening. And even if I'm getting hit and it hurts, you yeah. know, to, so it to doesn't not, paralyze you, essentially. It doesn't paralyze me anymore. That's what the training has done. Yeah. And that's what we can do with technology. Either you can be triggered externally by the ding, the beep, the notification. That's coming from the phone, and that creates an a internal reaction in you. That's external. 
But how many times are we triggered internally? We're just walking around and the phone isn't doing anything. Yeah. And something inside us feels pulled to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's, you think about a smartphone, let's say 11 or 12 years, is that? Yeah, that's right. It's had a significant impact in my perspective in a relatively short period of time on yeah. the entire society, you know. So so what what's your current business? It's uh technology for mindfulness or mindfulness for technology? It's technology for mindfulness. Yeah. And in fact, you know, my day job is as a patent lawyer. I'm in a firm that I founded with a partner. You know, so I'm an entrepreneur and a business person in two senses. And yep. in the in the patent law business, I have to use technology. I have to stay really focused and productive. And that's actually where I first got motivated yes. to, to start developing new habits in myself. Because I felt like, you know what? This technology is is impeding my ability to get work done. Absolutely. To run my business productively and profitably. Mm-hmm. And I need to change how I'm using technology. I don't have the option of not using technology in my patent law business. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing goes for any business or any creative thing that is going to be a business or even kids going to school. There's no option to to not no. partake in it unless you want to be sort of left behind in the bush somewhere, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's a growing significant issue that needs to be dealt with. So I think your business is a tremendous idea. Yeah, you know, and I think the the, the law firm business keeps feeding me with insights into technology for mindfulness. So there's a blog. We tend to focus on very practical tips for people on how they can use technology more mindfully. Yeah. The first one I always harp on is managing notifications. You know, using do not disturb, turning off notifications in your app that you don't need, websites. Why? It's the biggest bang for the buck. It's the smallest amount of effort you can make that has the biggest payoff is to turn off and control notifications. Yeah, for sure. Uh, When people ask me, what's the one thing I can do? That's always the one thing I point to. Because getting notified all the time, first of all, you know, just as an exercise, I ask people, spend a day you can write down or just make a mental note of all the notifications that come up. Yeah, it's crazy. How often do they interrupt you? How many of them did you really need to get? And then within that subset of ones that you needed to get, how many of them did you need to get right away? Yeah, <laughs> love it. I couldn't agree more. And even like I don't have the notifications and stuff because this is a subject I'm also passionate about. I wouldn't go for more than like half an hour or 40 minutes without someone trying to penetrate into your world through technology or, or something. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we're not left alone to regenerate enough because of this technology. Yeah. You know, and if you're either in a business where you need to just be productive or creative or yeah. in your personal life, you can't have any new creative insights. If you're constantly being bombarded by these kinds of outside demands on your attention. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. There is an old essay way back before the Internet days. I think it was the 1920s. Bertrand Russell in praise of idleness, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he talks about now. He was a very productive person, mathematician, philosopher, social activist. I mean, all kinds of things. He, he prodigious writer. You know, no one could accuse him of being lazy. 
Yeah. But he said, you need to have significant amounts of time in your life where you're not focused on doing something productive. You're walking out in the woods, you're relaxing, you're being idle. And even that, you know, he was British yeah. and uh, he talked about the culture of, of shame and judgment yeah. <laughs> for being idle. Yeah, you know, yeah. that, uh, right, what is it? Idleness is the devil's uh, playground and, <laughs> and all of the uh, uh, cultural beliefs about idleness being a shameful thing to do. This, this is before our current culture of, of productivity. But he, he really meant if you want to be creative and have any kind of significant new thought or insight about yourself, about the world, about your life, about people around, whatever it may be, you need downtime. And now we know the neuroscience has shown us that your brain is working in the background. If you set yourself a creative goal or a problem, it'll keep working in the background, but only if you're in that idle mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not if you're doing 10 other things. So that, that probably leads me to my next or main question for you, given your background and stuff like that. So with my business authority marketing machine, I help people sort of increase their income while increasing their idle time or free time off through the use of focus. So focus on your yeah. customers' needs and your products are reducing that range as well as systems and the leverage of a team, how can we obtain the benefits of modern technology without being sucked in by it? And how can mindfulness be used to address distractions from technology? So you know, I already mentioned notifications. Yep. Another thing is scheduling. This is You can do it in a low-tech way, but scheduling your time. Well, now people say, what, what is that, Robert? That doesn't sound like a big deal to schedule your time. <laughs> but let me ask you, you know, if you go through a day feeling unproductive and you feel like you were pulled here and there, left and right by the technology, weren't you just kind of spending your time, not in the way that you planned, but because you were constantly reacting either to technology or to other people. You know, it could be other demands that came your way. If you're in an office, it might be someone knocking at your door. It's not always technology. But if you're constantly always spending your time in reaction mode, you're never going to be productive. So you have to set your intentions. You know, in the productivity world, you might call it a goal rather than an intention. You know, we can use the same, we can use different words for the same thing. I sometimes think of an intention about being more a state of being. Yes. You know, and, and a goal being something I want to accomplish. Personally, I use both. I know there's been some writing lately, give up on goals. You know, goals aren't any good. Yeah. Uh, we can debate, debate about that. Focus instead on intentions. I'd say both. I don't think it has to be either or. Set what they are. And none, none of this is new to me. I think everyone who works on productivity says this. You need to find a way of returning your attention to what your goals are. Yes. If you set your goal in the morning, I'm going to just say, make it very practical. I'm going to work on project A today. Yeah. If by the time the day is over, you look at your list and you say, wow, there was one thing on it. Project A, I never got to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more common than uh, uncommon, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I forget who the productivity guru was a number of years ago. I still find this ha helpful. You know, pick your apples and your oranges. Your apples are no more than three. Yeah. 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 Maybe one. Maybe two things that you, you are going to make sure you do today. And yeah. when people first hear that, they say, oh, that's crazy. I can get way more than that. Yeah. <laughs> Try it, though. You set your two apples 
but you're going to commit yourself to really doing them today and then find how hard that is. Yes. Okay. And then your oranges, again, two or three, could be one, could be two, no more than three, optional, but you're going to set them as a high priority. Wow. Find how hard that is to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> find how often it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Four o'clock in the afternoon, you say, wow, I don't have that much time left <laughs> to get to my Apple. I haven't gotten to it yet. Absolutely. So, schedule, now here, I, I can give many examples of scheduling, but I'll give some that are technology related. Sounds simple, but I found are really uh, you know, groundbreaking for me. Yeah. I may sound crazy. I put in my calendar time for checking messages. Yeah. Put a few times in a day where I'm going to check messages. Why? It means... A few things. I know I'm not going to check messages at the other times. And those are the important times where I'm actually going to get done the things I plan to do that are part of my goals that you're helping your clients achieve, right? Yep. I bet you none of your clients say, my goal is to respond to as many messages as possible. <laughs> <laughs> You've got these other goals. The messages may be a means to an end. Many of them are just extraneous, you know? Yep. So I set aside time. It means I'm also not anxious. If my time is 9.30 to 10, a 1 to 1.30, 4 to 4.30, it means at those other times, my anxiety is reduced about when I'm going to re- get to respond to messages. Because well, you're not, yeah. I know. Oh, there's going to be a time. I've set it aside. It's going to happen later. The world's not going to end. I'm not going to miss it. Yeah. I'm going to be play devil's advocate, in part because I'm a lawyer. But people say, Robert, it's crazy. It's not going to work. I'm going to have to check it at other times. I'm not going to have enough time. You know what? That may be true. It's still an improvement over yeah. the current way you're doing things. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Like as soon as it dings, you're gone pretty much. Right. So we don't let the let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that. That's a, that's a good tip, I think. All of these things, they're just like excuses on why not to improve sort of thing. And unfortunately, people can believe themselves. What you said is 100% spot on in my, in my view. I've been doing this for a long time. Many days, I don't stick perfectly to my messaging schedule that's in my yeah. calendar. Some days I miss it horribly. Most days I am really good. Some days I'm almost perfect. So you'd say, why do it if it doesn't work that well? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm in both an engineer and a business person. Let me ask you this. Would a company say, I'm not going to produce a new product because it's only 10% better than the previous version? <laughs> yeah, but that's, a, that's a great analogy of, of getting that to sink in. And, and the, the biggest thing that stood out for me in your description of it is it reduces your anxiety about getting back to people or whatever. And they also learn how you roll so that it's like what to expect from this particular person. So then they start behaving more in the way that you would like, which also reduces your anxiety. So it's like, well, don't worry about that because he usually gets back at this time or whatever. People expect immediate back and forth. And if you set the rules, and it generally works out better for you in the long run. You know, if you're dealing with clients who are entrepreneurs, maybe they're early in their business venture. I I know I've been there. I still have some of this, the fear, right? The fear. If I don't respond to a customer or a prospect immediately, I'm going to lose them. I'm going to lose them. Again, maybe that will happen some of the time. Yeah. But you know what? It's probably not going to happen, particularly for existing customers who are good and who, who know you and who trust you. 
experiment with it. You can also do this in a safe way. Start out with a half an hour where you don't respond to them and see what happens. This is sort of feeds into exactly what, what we do with people. It's like you can use systems to respond to them. You can use a team to respond to them. If you've focused in on the right type of person, you're not going to lose them because you have what they want and you genuinely want to help them so they're in the right place. They're not going to go elsewhere because you have the right solution for them because we've set that up right from the get-go. Yeah, and it's a part about facing your fear. I mean, I started at a few big law firms, then I went out on my own. I was a solo practitioner, yeah. you know, and I felt that hunger and need to get customers and keep them, you know? So I think for a while I went overboard. First, I hired a business coach, you know, I hired someone to push me on these things. And I'll tell you, I probably wouldn't have pushed past my fear on a lot of these things if I didn't have a coach holding me accountable. And he'd say, you know, give it a shot. And I, I actually tried it with some clients who sounded like they were demanding that I respond to them. And you know what? When I push back, and push back may even be too, too harsh a word. I just said, I need more time. Yeah. I'll get back to you later. You know what? Nine times out of 10, it wasn't as urgent as they made it seem to be, or as I believed and convinced myself it was in the yeah. beginning. Another sort of string to that is the, the one in 10 or one in 100 or whatever the number is that drop off, you probably didn't want to be working with them anyway because they don't fit into your rhythm, which means you're not going to be able to work well together, which means you're not going to be able to get them the results that they need. So it's probably a good thing. You know, you mentioned setting expectations. That's really, really important. I think the way technology and the business models of technology have worked over the last 15, 20 years, they've resulted in creating a huge cultural expectation of constant availability and connectivity. So it is up to us now to start changing those expectations with each other. Yeah. And the ways you said, you can just tell people, you can put it right in your email signature or header or something. Yeah. I check emails at these times. I, I often don't respond for a few hours. You know, I'll, I'll give away a little bit of a secret in my law firm. We do something for last minute instructions from clients. Yeah. We charge an extra fee. We call it a rush job fee, yeah. right? If you come to us at the last minute to do something that could have been done a month ago, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. one, we won't guarantee that we'll get it done. We'll make our best effort to do it. And we're going to charge you extra. And yeah. we disclose this in writing up front in our agreement that clients sign. Yeah. You know what? Most people see that. They take it seriously. They respect it. Why? It set the expectation that we're not just going to be available at the drop of a hat for things that could have been done earlier. And then when the time comes, we feel comfortable. If we truly can't do the job well in the time allotted to tell the client, you know, we just didn't have enough time. And you know, this is our policy. Yeah. We let you know that. And then if we can do it, we charge the fee. We feel comfortable doing it because we made it known up front, they had the option to go elsewhere or to not agree to that policy. I'll tell you, and I'm sure you deal with this with your own clients. You then have to have the courage to stick with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's no different to the, you know, the one in a hundred or, or whatever before. Like most reasonable people that are working with you will understand that that's a thing and, and they'll be happy to do it because if I was in that scenario and I needed something done, I'd be happy that that was available. And if there's a cost, there's probably an associated 
upside for me as the business to get it done in that period of time. Otherwise, I wouldn't yeah. be trying to rush it. I had one one client. He, he's come to me on a couple of occasions with a with a rush job, but he's always been mindful of it. And he said, Robert, I don't want to make my crisis your emergency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's an above average person's attitude, but yeah. So, Robert, I've got sort of two more questions to yeah. wrap things up. What sort of drives you on day to day to sort of keep going, do above average things and, you know, run a mindfulness business and a law practice and, and achieve just more than, you know, average? You know, on the law practice side, I'm doing work that I'm very passionate about. I'm working with people developing new technology, which is something that I love, yeah. helping advise them. I'm helping them build companies. You know, patent law is a bit abstract. <laughs> you can think of it a little bit like an insurance policy. You know, it's not very sexy in a way, but it's something that when it's important, just like insurance on your house, you know, if it burns down, you really want to make sure you have it. <laughs> okay. So I remind myself of the companies that I'm helping to benefit yeah. with the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Plus the actual work, the writing, the thinking, the kind of logical argumentation is something that just is part of my personality that, that I'm drawn to. So your attraction to it, essentially. It's my attraction to it. You know, and I think if you've got a business, some people are attracted to a business because of the, uh, let's say, the substance of the business. Mm-hmm. You know, you love baking pies and you, you run a bakery. You know, other people are more attracted to the process side of the business. And they run a business that's about baking pies, not because they love baking pies, because they like building a system. Agreed, yes. You know, and I have a little bit of that in myself, too. I'm a computer programmer, which is about creating processes that are efficient in a computer. That's part of what I like about the business now, too, is the fact that I'm running it and get to create systems that are efficient. I get some enjoyment from, from that, too. It helps me in the business. It helps the clients. They interact with us in a way that's very satisfying. We're very efficient and and open and responsive to them. I like creating those systems. On the technology for mindfulness front, because it's something I've struggled with, how to deal with all of the distraction and stress and lack of productivity in my own life, because I've been fortunate enough to both have the pre-internet experience with technology and how yeah. to use it productively from those days. And I've had the, the martial arts and mindfulness training experience that I could bring to how I use technology. And I've been able to use that to benefit myself. I just feel compelled yeah. to help other people take advantage of what I've been able to do. Being from a similar, like oh, I got the, just the miniature slice of pre-internet, I can so identify with, with that as a thing that just needs to be done more because people are going to struggle to navigate this stuff into the future, mate. So really noble sort of cause. And I've sort of been waiting for more of this to come to light, but it's really well done. So one last question to wrap up, mate. If you were able to give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Stick with martial arts training, and actually start mindfulness meditation practice sooner. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not a panacea, but I have found both of these things to be helpful to me in my life in so many ways that were indirect or unexpected. Yeah. You know, they're kind of a foundational set of, I don't even want to call them skills, just ways of being 
and interacting with the world, understanding myself and interacting with other people yeah. that I've been able to apply in, in so many different ways that I would tell myself then to really make sure to stick with it, even in the times when I, since the time when I've been 18, when I've told myself, Robert, you don't have time for this, you're too busy. I would have told myself, you're never too busy. In fact, when you're too busy is the time when you really need to stick with it. <laughs> I, I know. Like, I've done some mindfulness-based stress reduction and, you know, some martial arts and bits and pieces, and you are spot on. So I uh, second that motion, mate. And uh, thanks very much for meeting with me today and having a chat. It's been bloody awesome having you on the Authority Marketing Machine podcast. Thanks, Rob. Oh, thanks, Brent. So much, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Legend, mate. You have a good one. You too. Bye now. See you, mate. Learn more about the Authority Marketing Machine framework by visiting authoritymarketingmachine.com.au. 